So that is actually one long, beautiful sentence that Paul wrote um, in his letter at the, um, to the Ephesians. Uh, one long Greek sentence, and uh, you know, that's the way Paul often did. He, he wrote just um, yeah, great long prayers in one sentence. Uh, this one, I, I feel it is my prayer for you as well. It's a real gift to be able to speak to this today. And it, that whole cosmic dimension of, of the way he um, prays here, it just it so much resonates with what I want to say to you. So he says, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Paul begins with a thanksgiving for the faith and love of the Ephesian church. And I too want to thank God for what I've seen in you, for the faith that you have, that you trust in him, that you want to rely on him for your life and for the love that you have for one another that is even more obvious over this time of um, lockdown when so many people have stepped up to do things and then of course as we're leaving so many more people have stepped up to do things and to do it in that loving unity and then it, he continues you know I, I'm not only ceasing to give thanks for you, but I'm also continually praying that the Lord of our, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. That continued um, prayer for their growing in knowledge. And... Uh, then it goes on to be a confession of the authority and power that God has given to Christ. So this prayer to increase in knowledge through wisdom and revelation. Wisdom in the Bible is the practical knowing of how to live. It's what we um, can grow in knowledge of God through as we practically try and learn more and more of how to live the way God intends. And revelation is, the, is what God gives us in knowledge. So it's both our side of growing in knowledge, as you might say, and what God grows us in knowledge through. And we always need instruction, even though uh, our faith and love may already be commendable. So I know that, you know, I pray that you will grow in knowledge, even though your faith and love are already uh, something I can give thanks for. And so with, that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, what a beautiful phrase, that you, your eyes of your heart be opened more fully to the presence of God and in Christ over everything. So the, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? You know, this is such a, a deep prayer. We're called to live up to being Christ's body. And you are called to that as his church. 
Now Christ is seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places above all. And the church, you as Trinity Church, are called to be his body, the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. What an enormous great calling. And uh, that, that growing in the knowledge of that is something um, some of you may know that I've, on Facebook postings of happy birthdays, I often say that my prayer for people is that they grow in the knowledge of God's goodness. You know, we know God is good all the time, but we need to grow more and more in the knowledge of that, the knowledge of everything that um, this prayer actually just refers to. And so that the things that he says we are to know in this prayer, that the things he prays and that I pray for you too, is that hope of this tremendous calling that you have as church to be Christ's body. That you may know the riches of his inheritance among all of God's people. Everything that God has already given you. And then that you may know the power of God who raised Jesus and seated him in the heavens over all. That resurrection and ascension power that we particularly celebrate as, um, on Christ the King Sunday, which is what this is. And then God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Above all, above all powers that might compete with Christ in your allegiance. Not only human powers and human authorities, but also the power of other idols, the power of wealth or status, or even the power of one's own identity group and thinking that your identity is more superior to others. My prayer is that as a church, none of these powers may stand before Jesus as, and his uh, power that you draw on as a church, that he may be the centre of your life. And that is what uh, Francis and I have aimed to help this church to have Jesus as the centre. And uh, he has put, God has put all things under Christ's feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so I pray in one sentence. I give thanks continually for you as I remember you in my prayers, for I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And I continually pray that the Lord of our, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you 
a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope of your calling, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among all God's people, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power, which God put to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, having put all things under his feet and having made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. I've got a screen in the minute, uh, Thomas, so just uh, keep it on uh, as it is for a while. So many layers, so many reflections, such a rich gospel picture, building on what Barbara brought before. I'm going to do this a bit, as it were, well, as the thoughts come. A few weeks ago, I was tidying up the garden, as I often do on Wednesdays, and uh, had already long cut off all the tomatoes, but uh, had to pull some, some hoses out and some fittings, and I pulled up the roots. And it's always interesting, pulling up roots, because the hidden activity, what's actually been happening all the time, is there to be seen. It's a bit of a post-mortem on the plant. And I was struck by the, the different characteristics of these tomato plants, what they had done in the six months that I had watched them grow above and bear fruit. And it was one of those moments, um, the Catholics sometimes call these sacramental moments, where it speaks into the present and you see yourself in it. And it's, it describes what I have experienced since August when Barbara and I said we were going. And so much has come to the surface, so much that's been good and encouraging and, and it's like hidden gold has, has come up that was there all along, but I wasn't aware of it or I couldn't see it. And the witness of agreement that I, Barbara and I are receiving from people in terms of what they're saying about us and what God has done and where God has brought this church to is, is, is very precious and aligning. So I speak with a very grateful heart, um, a sense of God has been at work in us, among us and through us and has brought us somewhere. Could I have the next screen please? I came across this picture randomly some weeks ago. Um, there we go. Same jacket. Uh, so those who've been here a very long time may recognize the two uh, sort of uh, guys to my right and left. They were the wardens when I was here. 
They were the men who interviewed Barbara and I in 2001, August 2001. I think it was in the V&D diner or, or some, some restaurant around there, had a three-hour lunch. So on the left we have uh, Peter Nowiski, who we're still in contact with, He's, uh, and with Nicole, they've retired to France. And on the right, Phil Brown, who left very soon after our arrival. And um, so they interviewed us. They only had one question when we went for the interview, and it wasn't, how do you like your coffee? The one question was, and they, they leaned over, especially a Phil Brown, I can see it, he sort of leaned over towards us and said, with, with tremor in his voice, how would you handle diversity? How would you handle diversity? Now, I had an answer for that, and, um, but that's not the point. Um, the big realization is that what God has done with our diversity in the last 18 years is multiplied it. So here were two men who were having a hard time because the church had issues and they thought it was diversity. The church actually didn't have a diversity issue. It had a unity issue. It's quite a different thing. And uh, we were to discover that in weeks and months and years after we arrived. Um, I'll just give you one little anecdote. My very first church meeting was a meeting for the church magazine. You think this would be a benign, docile, calm event? Well, it erupted and someone ran out screaming and, uh, and there were tears and, oh, so this is the church magazine. Um, and it went on from there. Um, the church didn't have a diversity issue. It had a unity issue. And uh, I, I was so perplexed and challenged by this for a long time. And there's another anecdote that comes to mind. Um, and it's a sort of a subtext message in this. Don't do this to your next pastor. We were given two televisions when we arrived. Yippee! So our container was still in the water and we came to a house and there were two televisions. One of them, the sound didn't work. And the other one, the picture didn't work. But we could work them together. I kid you not. And then our television arrived, which was also, was it PAL? It's uh, ancient technology now. And our television, uh, coming from New Zealand, the, the, the uh, tuner frequencies were all different. And I just hold that up as a kind of a, that's what it was like for years for me here, trying to make sense of what I was seeing and hearing. And, um, and whenever I opened my mouth, there was a new word that I was hearing all the time, spin. I didn't use that word in New Zealand, but it was in every second sentence here in Eindhoven. So diversity, this, uh, unity, uh, coming with a, a range of frequencies and, and uh, equipment, and the sound doesn't work here, and the picture doesn't work over there. It's a recipe for, um, God, help! <laughs> um, now let's go to the good news. That passage we read today, it's a picture of the gospel passage. It's a picture of what uh, is to be expected on the day of the Lord, the day that the, the kingship, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is revealed. And you know what? The first thing, I'm, I'm speaking from memory here, the first thing that happens in that passage is 
all the nations are called together. Now, if that is not diversity, all the nations are called together. We celebrate that on the wall here with a picture painted by Robert Pothecary, inspired by Revelation chapter 7, which is a similar scene. All the nations will be called together. God loves diversity. Certain ideological streams have almost sort of claimed as if diversity is their thing. But so often, no, 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 no. God created the diversity and revels in it. But here's the thing. There will come a day when the richness of God's work and creation and all that God has done is, as it were, drawn together. The Alpha and the Omega is in view. And Christ is revealed in that for whom he is. And in that revelation, there will be a sorting of the sheep and the goats, as it puts it. Because within diversity, there can be disunity. And it's sorting that out. But the key, the key, and I've learned this myself in this church, the key is, if I put it in, in practical terms, is Jesus enthroned among us. When Christ is enthroned among us, that process rolls. Diversity blossoms. It's to be celebrated. But there also comes a clarity. A clarity about sheep and goats that is only possible in the light of Christ. In the world today, various nations even have this in their, uh, their mottos and crests, and I've been at countless synods where people have talked about unity and diversity. Um, and this unity, yeah, it, it, it's not our slogan, but we need to understand, in Christ... The unity is found. And what makes for disunity is, as it were, uh, expunged and processed and burnt off and, and, and sent away, leaving that rich diversity. It's a beautiful hope. And it's the business of church. And if anything, it's the business of this church. Our Bishop Robert celebrates that this church uh, is not only diverse, but um, he says it has the largest percentage of Asians in a European chaplaincy. Many of you from India are in that category. That's not that's that's a, a feature of diversity that uh, is distinct or marked here in Trinity. Um, but to make it practical. There's something in that passage that was spoken today which is key, key for you as individuals. The criteria for Christ's judgment is, is uh, set out. And it comes down to this. Do we treat our brothers and sisters as if we are 
relating to Christ. It's a, it's a theme that uh, is elsewhere in the Gospels. You can't receive the grace of God in Christ and deny it to a brother or sister. You can't have a double economy, as it were, operating. Give God the good stuff and deny it or treat your brother or sister differently. And so you heard the passage, and it comes down to, at the end, the, the conversation around seeing, recognizing Christ in your brother and your sister. Instead of thinking, well, this is just Mary or Bob or Pete or Tim, and they are da-da-da-da, and we characterize them according to perhaps where they come from and what their personality is like and how they make us feel. No. There needs to be our, in our vision, in our perception, a recognition that our treatment, our mercy, our grace... Uh, extended to a brother or sister, even a little one, child, unimportant, unattractive, humble, is as unto Christ. And that is the accountability that he will hold his people to. And there are going to be surprises. There are going to be surprises. What I want to say to finish is it's not only about um, the end and judgment day, but it is the business of being church, especially being a diverse church. We need to recognize each other as Christ unto us. We, that is so important. And I, I want to, to, to leave that as a, as a parting encouragement because the Lord is at work in this church and he hasn't finished. He hasn't finished. There's more coming. Barbara and I have been reflecting. We, we believe really it's quite clearly it is time for us to hand over. Please, that is not... Uh, uh, don't fear that that means something's going to stop. No, it's a handover. God has not finished. What you need to do is to keep in the forefront of your mind, this is God's church. These brothers and sisters and friends in Christ are to, need to be recognized as, as Christ. And our relationships are in him. And you need to value and honor and process them in that economy, in that frame. Amen? Amen. Amen.